For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening, we have a returning champion on the program. Uh, Brian Dullamore will join us from MHD Rockland. We'll talk about the aerospace industry. And Brian, uh, you know, this will be news because Brian was on early on. This is our 10th season, Dan. Mm -hmm. So Brian was on at the beginning, at the very early on of our second season. So about a year into when we started this. And uh, business has definitely evolved. So we'll we'll recap uh, kind of where he started and where and where it came from, and talk a little bit of merger because uh, as we talk a lot and we talk about family business and mergers, his company merged with his dad's company. So there's an interesting story there too. All right, and Michael Newton will be along, your business partner, to talk about mergers and acquisitions. That's later in the show. Uh, but first, entrepreneurial news and notes as usual. And uh, this is a good one for Monday. The the power nap, the office power nap. Companies are beginning to really get into this, um, not just in Spain. This is a North American thing now, too. Um, recognizing that employees need to rest. Uh, do you know of any Montreal companies that are doing this? Let their employees nap uh, in the middle of the day? You know, I used to have a, a couch in my office. Not that I ever used it for that purpose or for... For any purpose, actually. Uh, but it was there for, for meetings. I, I don't necessarily know of a single place. I mean, I've heard of a couple of, uh, of companies, and they're usually in the tech field that, you know, say you can rest. But those pods specifically, other than having a visual of Google or the intern or internship, uh, that movie that came out. Uh, that was done by Sean Levy. I, you know, I, I can't say I've known it. I don't know if you've come across anything, Dan. But the reality is, you know what? People, you know, great to rest during the day, and it's it's probably a more attractive feature. Does it make them more productive? Yes, possible. Does it make them more productive if they decide to say later? Because if you're 9 to 5, are you skipping lunch to take a nap? Or are you having lunch and doing a nap? Where, where do you where do you draw the line necessarily but if you're if you're trying to differentiate yourself and I know in the last few weeks Dan we've spoken a lot about the workplace and a lot about differentiating yourself and a lot about the lack of talent that that's out there and how to draw and attract talent if this is something that can help you draw and attract talent and you truly feel it helps your people be productive well then go for it I don't think it's made for everybody I don't think everybody has a space for it. I don't think everybody wants to pay for the space for it because if you're a downtown firm, space is at a premium or downtown company. But if it really suits your environment, then absolutely go for it. This from the Financial Post. Ottawa is, quote, bending over backward to uh, to lure foreign tech giants. And some are saying this could be at the expense of uh, some Canadian techs, uh, tech uh, uh, stars. Well, the, 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 the reality is that there's a lot of government money going into attracting companies has always been there's no question about it the question is how does it help or how does it how does it hurt you know they're the the top whatever percent small percentage of, of Canadian taxpayers pay basically the majority of the government fees and the taxes and not the taxes but but the the services that go on are they spending more to bring other people this is this is something that that, that you know is not necessarily good for small business necessarily because they're spending so much on bringing in attracting big businesses. There was actually a second article that talked about Quebec and you know how they're how they're truly trying to attract uh, Ubisoft and how they're giving money to attract talent or to to give money to foreign companies to say you know what here's some money to help you find talent. Well, I got to tell you, Quebec and let's just focus on Quebec for a second. Quebec has 
a low, uh, um, uh, low unemployment rate. Forgot the word for a second. Unemployment. What a foreign term. Quebec has a relatively low unemployment rate. But even worse is that the unemployment rate in the tech sector, from what I've read over in, in several articles, is virtually zero. So there is that war on talent that we've been talking about for, for, for weeks and months and almost years. There is even a greater war on talent from it comes to, from tech industries. So when, they're, when, the, when the governments are banding together to put in money to attract foreign companies to bring, econo- bring, bring in their money into, into Quebec or into Canada for that matter, I think it's great from a bigger perspective. But is it really creating that much more competition from a local? Is it really saying, you know what, Mr. Quebec company, you're struggling to find talent. Yeah, we want to improve the economy as an overall, but we're going to attract foreign companies to come in and even make it worse from a talent acquisition standpoint. Where do you draw the line as to what's good for the economy? Tough to say, but if I was a Quebec business in the tech field, and I know it's already hard enough, well, I'm saying, you know what? Mr. And Mrs. Canadian uh, Canadian government official, maybe we need to put our money a little bit elsewhere. Does the labor shortage, you know, put uh, some of those hot tech sectors in jeopardy, like AI in Montreal, for example? If we're competing with, you know, London and Paris, uh, do we uh, do we expose ourselves to to losing talent to those bigger cities? Uh, without without question, uh, there is no doubt without question that talent is uh, talent in the in the tech field and talent in the in the the, the the bigger industries, there's no question it's already being lost. It's already being lost because the markets are much stronger outside of Canada. Canada is a tiny population. Yes, we might have some great brains, but the brain drain is real. And there's no question that the whether it's the American economy or whether it's the Asian economy, there's way more activity and way more possibilities to make money in those areas or those regions versus here. You can have a great idea here and there's, there's a great brain aspect there's a great think tank here there's there's no question about it i think in the the number of people that we've spoken to over the years there's no question that quebec is definitely has this this great aspect you look at ubisoft you look at the ai element ai you look at any of these type of companies and i know i'm talking big companies but there's a lot of smaller ones as well it's kind of like when you're talking about aerospace and tier one tier two tier three companies they're all here the tier ones make a lot of noise but there's a plenty of tier two and tier threes so same in the same in the tech field where the tech field has a lot of smaller players not just the bigger players and to try and attract that talent and help them grow is really difficult so is an endless stream of subsidies uh, towards various industries or towards employment programs kind of um inevitable when it comes to 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 new industry and new tech in canada i I think it's inevitable but the question becomes where do you focus that those efforts do you focus it do you continue to focus on the tech industry that's already strong quebec as as a tech economy is pretty darn good you know we've attracted hundreds of millions dare i say billions of dollars in this field, I mean, if you look at the big companies, the Element AIs, the Ubisofts, there are billions of dollars invested in the tech industry in, in Quebec, in Montreal, uh, the, the region, no doubt. If you keep pushing, if you keep putting all your money towards the sector that's going really well, where do you leave the other sectors that are failing? And I think this is this is a, an argument to say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Government Official or maybe necessarily the entrepreneur that says, hey, there's 
a ton of opportunity in the tech sector, but if it's so hard to get people and it's so hard to, to grow as a result of all these different factors, maybe I got to check elsewhere. Maybe I got to try and find something else. It, it, it's a little early to say because I think there's so much change and evolution in the tech field that there is opportunity galore, but is that the low hanging fruit based on a talent side, a local talent side of finding? There's an argument to say it's not. So, do you think government should be focusing on other sectors? If you were uh, advising the PMO, you know, what, where would you uh, divert those dollars to outside of uh, you know the, the very popular tech industry? Advising the PMO, probably not the first on my list of things <laughs> I, sh- I probably should do. Uh, but that being said, I, I, I think that you can never ignore the tech industry because we want to be known for something, and I think Montreal is on the map because it's a great place to live and from a standard of living it's a great uh, opportunity from Quebec standpoint the R&D credits are great uh, tech you know we definitely have a lot of great minds but I think the I think governments need to look well ahead of that and if that's the only industry that's going to make that's going to make it happen great but if it's not then go ahead I mean they've already they definitely put money in the aerospace too and uh, not necessarily in the private sector that was as we'll talk with Brian but there's there's definitely something. So when if you're in the tech sector, you know you just I guess have to be a little bit different. You want to attract the talent, you got to be a little bit different. Tomorrow's workplace today. Ca. You know we're we're talking about the changes in the workplace and the environments, uh, and we're putting on a workshop in a couple of weeks on February 21st with uh, JMSB at Concordia. If you want to stay here and you want to stay in that tech field, then you got to try and find some way to be a little bit different, uh, in, in as much as all your competitors are. All right, tomorrowsworkplacetoday.ca, tomorrowsworkplacetoday.ca, if you want to go to that event that Josh is going to be co-hosting coming up on February 21st. And on the way on today's Entrepreneur, we'll talk aerospace with Brian Dullimore of MHD Rockland. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, uh, Josh, let's welcome back uh, a guest who was with us on season two, when I believe we were called something else. Yeah, what kind of what keeps you? <laughs> you know, Mr. Entrepreneur, Today's Entrepreneur, not Mr. because it's all, could be anybody. Today's Entrepreneur, what keeps you awake at night? And uh, Brian, maybe have had a couple of things keep him awake at night, but definitely welcome back to the program, uh, some eight. Uh, plus years later. Thank you very much for having me, gentlemen. Brian Delamore of MHD Rockland. Uh, easiest question is, what do you do, Brian? What is MHD Rockland? Well, how about I start what we're typically not the standard aerospace company in Montreal. Most people think of aerospace in Montreal as working with Air Canada, Bombardier, or Pratt. We don't do any of that. We're strictly a military aerospace company. So we deal in logistics, spare parts distribution. We house close to 300,000 line items of different parts. So that's our primary business out of Montreal. But like I said, again, it's strictly military aerospace. So we don't touch the standard, typical Pratt Whitney's and Bombardier's of the the world. Does that mean that your customers are really only governments? uh, Our end customer is always a government, being a military platform. But we will work with industries, like you mentioned earlier, different tiers. So we'll work with the manufacturer of the aircraft or people that repair the aircraft. So we'll we'll touch that whole spectrum that gets that plane from factory or from the hangar 
to flying. Now, the origins of MHD Rockland are somewhat interesting. Uh, MHD Rockland is a function of a merger. Correct. So when did MHD or MHD Rockland, when did it first first exist? Well, the, the, as the merged company was in 2010. Now, before that, how did how did that come about? Okay. Well, it started back in 19... 19- the short version, because short you really version. only have a, a minute or okay. two. Okay. 1981, my father started his own aerospace company called MHD Rockland, or sorry, called MHD International Aircraft Parts. I worked with him for many years. Then in 2000, broke off on my own company called Rockland Aerospace. Almost 10 years to the day, we decided to merge both of them together. So in 2010, father and son came back together, created MHD Rockland. Now, what was the impetus to coming back together? Were you guys competing with each other, or did you really have your own paths? We had our own paths in the beginning, but as certain companies grow, unfortunately, we started crossing paths. Not in a a harsh way, but it was discussions. How should we attack this client? How should we go about certain strategies? You were collaborating to some degree. Uh, To some degree, correct. Uh, And in uh, 2009, we had an opportunity to bid on a very large contract where we needed help. That's where I approached my father about, maybe we should do this together. We were successful. We won the contract as Rockland Aerospace. But a few year, a few months later, it was decided that maybe it's time for some succession planning on his part, and we decided to merge the two companies. So you're, you're talking about succession planning, and yes, you're, you're both in the military platforms. Where, I guess... You know, there's there's so much that we can go in this direction, but when you ultimately decided to merge, you know, whether it was for succession reasons, whether it was because it made better sense in the marketplace because you had two platforms that can serve under one brand name versus being confused in the market, what were what were some of the challenges? Like, what, what were what were some of you know? You, you go into this, you have really two companies going together. Yes, both are named, both have a Dolly Moore behind them, but not exactly the same companies. No, they were really two different companies. But like you said, there was some synergies on the customer level. Although we were working on two different aircrafts, one being a C-130, one being a P-3, there was still a lot of synergies that just made sense for uh, strategic and for um, just long-term planning. Before before you continue, you say C-130 and P-3. Just to give the listener underst- uh, a better understanding, what are those planes? How can they understand what those planes are? Okay. Well, first of all, they're, they're legacy aircraft. They're not your modern-day fighters that you'll see. But most people have seen a C-130, be it in movies, uh, be it uh, food relief, whatever. It's a big, heavy cargo plane. P3, the ones that kind of transport tanks across the country, across the world? We'll, we'll say a baby tank, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they'll, they'll do troops, they'll do equipment, they'll do smaller jeeps, but it, it is the workhorse of the uh, military industry. Where the P3, it's, it's very diverse. It's touched on a lot of different areas, but it was originally designed as a surveillance aircraft. But nowadays, it's used for firefighting. Um, the planes you see flying into hurricanes... Measuring the wind speeds are P3s. Search so, and rescue. Search and rescue also. Yeah, they've touched many areas. How did you get into this very uh, this very serious business in little old Montreal? <laughs> well, it, it was a family business. Uh, my father was in the business, and um, 
needed some help one day and I was lucky enough to show up. It's one of those business where you start it, you fall in love with it and you can't get away from it. And how did he, how did he get into it? His father also. His father okay. was in the usual aerospace business of Pratt Whitney. So my father got into Pratt Whitney, started his career there, moved on to other smaller tier two aerospace companies until he was ready to start his own. Now you're merging, you're merging your dad's company and your company. There's got to be some differences in how you operate. Was that a challenge when you brought them together? More than we expected. We figured a similar companies it shouldn't be that difficult. We hadn't been together for 10 years, but it's one's one aircraft, one's the other. How different can it be? Well, I was mistaken. It was quite different. And it was really a culture, two different cultures. Easiest way to put it, one from 1980 and one from 2000. It's 20 years. A lot has changed in 20 years. So it was just completely different way to account for inventory or how to manage the staff or how you approach your customers. It was just two different cultures. But when you got together, there was a clear vision on who would be the leader, who would be the president of the new corporation? Yeah, of course. That goes without saying. There's a reason he came to me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did have a clear understanding, but the reality is he's worked with his staff for 20-plus years. We've worked with ours for 20-plus years. It is difficult to, to bridge that gap or to find new direction. So it was a challenge and took about two years and then we decided to put everybody in one building and we saw improvement at that stage. And that's a question, you know, is the transition, you know, because, because there's an understanding from both sides, did it take a long time to kind of transition from one culture to another? And, you know, is there a lesson that you learned, <laughs> whether it's before you would merge again or, or in your in your actual decision? Yeah, we did learn a, a lot of lessons there, for sure. Um, some of them really were, uh, the culture is one thing. And unfortunately, in this merger was done quickly. We planned it within three months and thought it'd be easy. Again, we're mistaken. Um, but I would recommend you do your due diligence, that it's family or not, you should do your standard due diligence to see where the hiccups are plan, you, you'll notice there's a culture difference just in your due diligence. So start planning those in advance. We didn't have that opportunity. It was a three-month merger. Um, so we struggled for about two years to, to get it going. More with Brian Delamore of MHD Rockland talking about the aerospace business uh, in a moment. And Michael Newton on the way from FL uh, with some advice on mergers and acquisitions. That's on the way. before. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're welcoming back a returning champion to the program. Brian Delamar from MHD Rockland was with us during Season 2 when we were called uh, What Keeps You Up at Night. Went through a little bit of a rebranding, and uh, and Brian went through some changes as well. A merger uh, with his father's company to make it now MHD Rockland, and uh, and Josh, we're talking about the aerospace industry and about um, the the tough task of recruiting as well. It is, and and there's no question, human resources and talent. We were talking about this at the top of the hour, talent and the lockdown. We we're talking about the tech field, but really it applies in many different industries. So I guess I'll turn to Brian and and ask you, Brian, over all all the years that and 
not just not just since the merger, but since you started your own in 2000, has the search for talent been a struggle? I wouldn't say it's always been a struggle. Search for talent, uh, we're lucky in the Montreal area. We have great talent, as you mentioned earlier. Um, it's been in the last three, two, three years where we've been struggling a little bit to find people from uh, basic jobs to a more senior level. All aspects of the business have been suffering. The tech side, we've suffered. We've lost two of our tech people, two headhunters to the tech industry, like you were talking about earlier. Um, but we're struggling at the moment. We are looking. We have five positions, maybe six right now, to fill just in Montreal. Um, and we're going through the interview process as we speak. But it, it's been a, a challenge. and It's unfortunate. Because we do have the opportunities, but it's finding the right people and the right fit is a big thing for us. We, we've we been talking about ways to attract talent. Like, I don't know if you're doing anything different, and maybe you can kind of explain your culture in a moment. But are you doing anything differently to attract talent? Are you are you looking to maybe show your your environment, your positive environment, a little bit more online so that people know what they're getting into? People can, talent can look for, for that greater or better environment? It's definitely something we're looking at a little more now since we've been struggling. We have revised our ad. Since then, we've had a lot more feedback, which is a positive. But I think we need to do a little more to describe our environment. And if I can touch on that a little bit, our environment really is, I won't say it's a flex environment, but it's a give and take environment in the company. Um, we do offer a few benefits that a lot of other companies don't one on that give and take I was talking about. Also, uh, we have a corporate gym. So that, that's a, a big thing for a lot of people. We're located on the west end of the West Island, which avoids a lot of traffic for a lot of people. So that's... And the light, the light rail is coming there soon. Yeah, it's you know, going to be right around the corner. A couple years, give or take. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully. Do you, do you have any napping areas? We were talking about that <laughs> at the, yeah. the top of the program. No, we're not there yet. You know, We're at the give and take stage, but uh, not at the napping yet. No bouncy balls for us millennials? <laughs> no, but it's something we can look at. We can talk okay. about it. A chair ball or something like that. <laughs> when, when you're when you're, you're talking about, uh, you, you mentioned some of your tech guys left. There There is definitely a technology aspect to your business. Uh, there's got to be an ERP. You you mentioned at the at the the top of the show that you have three hundred thousand line items. How do you deal with that? Is that an is that an ERP issue? How did you you find your ERP? How is it working with it? Do you evolve? What what's your sentiment for that? Well, nowadays we're we're pretty well set. Things are working well, but we had to grow into it. We started with a somewhat tailor made ERP which worked to a certain extent, but uh, at one stage, it just can't keep up. The merger was a big help when it came to the ERP because my father's company had a very good system, which was aerospace-driven and uh, supported by a few local companies also, which was nice. Um, those companies struggled also and had to go through mergers and acquisitions to get to the stage they are now. Sometimes those mergers and acquisitions, the small ERP gets lost in the system, we were lucky where ours grew, and it has the support from the parent company. So it's been a huge benefit to us. And you mentioned, I know we're switching gears a lot, but I keep coming back to these 300,000 line items. How do you manage your inventory? One at a time. 
everything is in the system. The ERP, like I said, is aerospace driven. So it understands the uniqueness of our product and the information that has to get put in the system. But like I said, you can look up a part number. It'll give you everything. We've graduated to entering photos of each part now, the dimensions of the part. So eventually that may become an online presence, but at the moment it's internal. And we didn't really discuss the fact that you are rather international in, in in your business because you are selling throughout the world, but you do have you do have space and you do have entities throughout the world. Do your subsidiaries also have access to the same systems? Your ERP really kind of global throughout? Yes. Since uh, I was here last time, we've expanded a little bit. Uh, we have two offices in the U.S. now, one in New Zealand and one in Australia. But everybody works from one central system, which is housed at our facility in Montreal. So everybody sees everything real time. Now, given that, I, I guess, you know, we, we only have a couple of minutes left. So you've been around, the company has been around for, for decades. What's next? What's the current project? Well, we've just started a few new ones. Uh, like I said at the beginning, we're really logistics, spare parts, aerospace. But uh, two years ago, we decided it was time to start repairing our own parts. So we started our own uh, repair station in uh, our facility in Montreal. And also this year, we jumped into a whole new project, which is we acquired some aircraft from the Australian government to do pilot training. Purchasing aircraft has got to cost a ton of money, no doubt. You had financing that you had to have support with. Quickly, uh, if you can sum it up in just a few words, how was your borrowing experience? <laughs> Let's just say could have been better. Um, all in all, considering what we were doing, it was something new for us, for the banks. Um, it required patience, understanding, a lot of back and forth. In the end, it all worked out. I have to say the banks were fantastic. They pulled together in the end. The, the project changed quite a lot, and uh, they pulled off something in three weeks that should have taken three months. So on that note, I have to say it was great, but it came with its own difficulties in the beginning. You had to work with a bunch of professionals along the way? Always. They're my greatest asset. After <laughs> staff, of course. <laughs> At least they didn't say his greatest expense. <laughs> uh, thanks very much, Brian. There, there, I mean, I know there's so much to the story. Uh, growing business. Uh, you've you've come here after eight years uh, with some great stories. We've only touched the surface again. But thanks very much for being here. And I know there's, you know, part of that that we didn't delve into very much is that merger and acquisition, is that family business, two businesses that put together that I think we're, we're going to explore in just a moment further with, with Mike Newton. Okay, Mike on MNA plus Brian's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur that's on the way. Professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And this evening, we're chatting with Brian Delamore of MHD Rockland. Uh, he is in the aerospace industry, a former guest here on today's Entrepreneur in the early going. And we'll have his one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur coming up in a few minutes. But we welcome again Michael Newton from F.L. on Emerger's and acquisitions. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, glad to be here. 
And Josh, we've talked about this a lot in the program over the years. Um, a lot of, uh, of flirting goes along, I think, when you're in business. I've noticed this too. You have lots of big ideas. Maybe we can team up with this person, with that person. But to actually dive in and and do the deal, what does it take? What does it take to jump from flirting to actually union? And I think it really depends on what side of the coin you're on. Are you on the buy side or are you on the sell side? And how much do you give away the store before you get there? So I think the first question that we'll delve into, Mike, is when you're the seller, when you're the vendor, you have your business and you're you're courting a, a, a prospective buyer, they want to know everything. They want everything under the sun. Where do you draw the line or at what stage do you give things? So there's various stages and milestones along the way. There's the initial dating prospect where, you know, you talk, you kind of give away a little bit. Uh, you give away something in order to get something in return. So you're playing that, uh, you play the game uh, to get to the uh, the LOI stage. So the letter of intent stage where a buyer actually is showing interest more than, hey, how are you? What's going on? Um, the LOI is a negotiated document that uh, can uh, be uh, be pretty heavy at the end of the day in order to get to that stage. That LOI is usually subject to two things, which is financing and due diligence. And the due diligence process is when the buyer really starts to do his homework and starts to look. Now, the more he can get from the seller before the LOI, the more he knows where to go with his LOI. I have to tell you that as a seller, I'm not a big fan of giving away too much without uh, trying to get some money down because I believe in corporate espionage and I'm a little paranoid. So I think everybody out there is looking. I will try and qualify a buyer uh, to see if there's somebody in the industry, to see if there is some indication. Um, but I think that you do have to really look at whether you uh, you get some money up front. A lot of people will try and negotiate it out. Buyers will negotiate it out. But I'm not too happy to uh, to let you start looking at information if uh, if I don't think you're serious. No, no question about it. And and I would say it's not always easy to actually get a deposit. And if even if they're serious, you know, it's sometimes you know, well, I'm going to pay my professionals. You pay yours. That's really our our sense of deposit. But how far you go is? Are there things that you absolutely would that that a, an entrepreneur might be enticed to give, but absolutely should never give even before getting an LOI? Well, I think there's two ways to look at it. First of all, am I for sale? So the question is, if I've been courting, if I've been looking for a buyer, I'm going to take a very different approach. Same as when you go to sell your house, right? If I'm on the market to sell my house, uh, I've got a real estate agent, uh, I'm going to look and somebody, uh, there's a little bit of information that needs to entice you to come talk to me. If somebody knocks on my door and says, hey, I'd like to buy your business, uh, it's a whole different game. Okay, so you've got to qualify that, that buyer. You've got to look where you're going. Is there certain things? Yeah, you don't give away client lists. You don't give away uh, recipes or uh, trade secrets. You don't give away employee lists. I mean, at the end of the day, there are certain things that you have to make sure that until you've got a signed LOI and you're pretty comfortable that they're doing their homework properly, you're not getting that up front. Do you have any tricks for determining whether or not the buyer is serious or if they're just trying to scope you out and get in some information? Money talks, baby. Money talks. Mm, yeah, no, there's, yeah, no doubt. If I, if I can get them to put money down in a significant amount that's either non-refundable or refundable only on a few conditions, I've got, I've got somebody who's very serious. Uh, the other option as well is, like I said, you qualify that buyer. You do some homework. You do some due diligence on the buyer. Is this somebody that runs around town looking to buy things? Is this somebody who has a history of... You know, uh, there, there, there's ways to talk to people and find out what's going on in order to see if that buyer is somebody who's A, serious, and or B, legitimate and uh, somebody you want to get in bed with. Because the whole transaction is not uh, a week long. I mean, this could be months and months of time together. And if you can't stand them, then you better make sure that uh, there's an awful lot of money on the table. And what some people don't realize, but we definitely do in the room, is 
Montreal is a small town. So if if there's some activity or there's something going on, some way, shape, or form, you'll probably find it out. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is where your professionals come in at the end of the day. So your your bankers, your lawyers, your accountants, your financial advisors on the selling side. If somebody comes to you, reach out, find out, see if they can do a little bit of homework. Uh, they have this thing called Google, which surprisingly you can get a lot of a lot of a lot of information on a buyer available. Uh, you can, uh, you know, there's some less kosher tricks as well, but uh, no doubt that at the end of the day, you want to make sure that the buyer qualifies. Now, in Brian's case, as we were talking about before, it was a father and son merging and there as brian pointed out early on uh, even before the before the half hour culture plays an aspect so when you're merging two businesses when you're looking for an acquisition how do you how much does culture come into play and maybe it depends on the type of businesses that are in play but how much and, and how could you even what's the challenge in even finding out how that culture works well i think the first thing you have to do is take a step back and figure out why are you doing a deal Okay, why are you either selling or why is somebody going to buy or why are you buying somebody? Because at the end of the day, you're either buying for people, you're buying for product, you're buying for recipes, you're buying for culture. Uh, In some situations, you don't care what the culture is because all you want is equipment, machinery and inventory. Um, uh, For other transactions, if you're a professional environment, that culture is huge. Okay, so you have to look at uh, what you're getting into uh, into business with. You have to look at what your reason is, um, and you have to be able to see if it fits somewhere in there. And it, somewhere in the exercise here is going to be give and take, and you have to lay down the law as to what it is you cannot not accept. And I guess that, that the question that automatically falls for me is, who gets involved in these discussions? Is it really high level? Is it somewhere in the mid? Like, wh- where do you start involving beyond the exec, beyond the owner? It's going to depend on the type of organization that you have. Obviously, if you've got a high-level uh, management team, they probably should be involved in a relatively early stage. Um, if this is a ma and pa shop, even though it's a you know, $10, $20, million, $30 million business, the sophistication level may not be there. You have to limit who's involved. Uh, in some cases, and you know, I say this lovingly, in some cases, you got to protect the client from themselves. And you may not allow them to have conversations without somebody present uh, because they're going to give away too much information. If you asked that question before, what is it you don't give? I mean, uh, you kind of almost kick your client in the shin some days and say, no, you can't tell them that. You can't give them that information. And then you want to protect against sabotage because if one of your management team or family members doesn't necessarily want the deal to go through, they might not be too good in sharing information and playing oh, with others. There, there's no doubt. The, the, the deeper the family gets in the business or the more somebody has to lose, uh, the bigger the risk that they, they, can, they don't play nicely. And I think you have to, again, as much as you qualify your buyer, you've got to qualify your team that uh, who's sitting at the table. We're just hitting the tip of the iceberg, but thanks, Mike, for sharing uh, some of those uh, first thoughts. And as we approach the last moment of the program, as we do each week, and I have no idea what Brian said eight years ago on this, but Brian... Uh, what what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Well, I have to say, I don't remember what I said either eight years ago. But one thing I found is my whole business has been built around relationships. So my recommendation is work on relationships, build those relationships, find ways to add value where others don't or won't do it. And more often than not, those will pay off in the end for bigger and better projects. And that's great because, and I've I've had this discussion over the last few weeks with different people. Business karma: what goes around comes around. So unless you have something that you really want to harp on somebody, what goes around comes around. Don't forget that in business. 
Brian Delamore of MHD Rockland, thanks so much for returning to Today's Entrepreneur tonight. You're welcome. Thank you, John. My- Michael Newton, thanks as well for thanks, your Dan. expertise. Josh, we're back next week, next uh, next Monday at 7, uh, talking about uh, pretty light shows with uh, Seiko Technologies. Seiko Technologies. They, Burj Khalifa, if anybody knows the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, tallest building in the world, they outfitted that entire building in lights. Should be interesting. Should be fun. And don't forget a decade worth of inspiring entrepreneur profiles at todaysentrepreneur.org. We'll see you back here next Monday night.